0: I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. I am thrilled to announce that Audible is the sponsor for this podcast. Thank you so much to Audible. If you don't know Audible, which would be surprising, but let's just pretend, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members of Audible get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests. You probably know all this. You might not know how much I really enjoy Audible myself. Um, I recently listened to Neil Pastricha's How to Get Back Up, uh, his memoir, and its stories about his mother and her life and things about being of Indian descent in America. Anyway, it was so good. Um, I listened to it while I tried to go on a hike one day, and um, Audible is just fantastic, and I'm thrilled because all of you guys listen to podcasts, you already like to listen to things, Audiobooks seem like a natural fit, so I'm thrilled to be bringing them to you. So please go to audible.com slash zibby, or you can even text zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, to 500-500. So please do go shopping. Think about trying out Neil Pasricha's book. And that's really good. And check out Audible if you haven't already, and try uh, listening to a book that way. It's a unique experience, and it definitely adds something, especially for moms who don't have time to read. Sophie McIntosh is the author of The Water Cure, which was long listed for the 2018 Man Booker Prize and won the 2019 Betty Trask Award. In 2016, she won the White Review Short Story Prize and the Virago Stylist Short Story Competition. She has been published in the New York Times, Elle, and Granta Magazine, among others. We're going to be talking today about her most recent novel called The Blue Ticket. Welcome, Sophie. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: That's such a pleasure. I was just saying to you, the blue ticket is so fresh in my mind because I just finished it and now I have like a zillion questions about it. Would you mind just telling listeners quickly what the book is about?
2: Sure. So it's set in a world where on the day of your first period, girls are sent to a sort of lottery station. They pick a ticket from a machine and the ticket dictates whether they can have a child or not. So if you pick a blue ticket, you're kind of given a life without children. And if you pick a white ticket, you have to have children. So then the book follows the protagonist, colour, as she grapples with her ticket, she picks a blue ticket. And it's not a spoiler to say that she kind of feels the ticket is the wrong colour for her. And so she wants to change her ticket, so to speak, and then we follow her on this journey towards motherhood.
0: Wow. Imagine if that's the way it really worked in the world. (laughs) At least you would know, I guess, what fate awaits you or perhaps was intended. How did you come up with the idea for this? Tell me about the inspiration for the story.
2: I think, well, I would spent my whole life just being really sure that I didn't want to have children. And then something sort of happened when I got to my late 20s. I'm still kind of not sure whether it was, you know, social stuff, seeing everyone around me having babies or whether it was just you know, the time was right, but suddenly I just got really broody, like so broody. (laughs) And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of explore that in fiction because it was really kind of disconcerting to have, you know, to have this really strong idea that I knew how my life was going to be and it was going to be childless. And I was really happy with that. And then suddenly just to be, you know, seeing a pregnant lady or a friend's new baby and just suddenly wanting to cry and thinking, I want that. I want that so much. And, yeah. And I thought this would be kind of a cool way to explore it. It actually kind of started out as a horror novel because I was, yeah, again, I was kind of looking into pregnancy and kind of learning more about the physical side and seeing, again, friends having babies and hearing the kind of horror stories of labor and thinking, you know, this is so it's such a ripe area for exploration. And, you know, how could I kind of do a different take on it? as someone who has not yet had a baby, but really wants one.
0: <laughs> and I know you said in your acknowledgements how you had spoken to a lot of women about it. And then I read an interview that you did recently where you said you just didn't realize like some of the physical pain and some of the, like how much the body of the mother is just still so invested in the child and how it, you know, you still have to wake up all throughout the night and every couple of hours and your body has to heal. And just some of these more like physical things that came out were were surprises to you do you still want to have
2: kids (laughs) it's funny I just remember I always think about seeing my sister-in-law um just after she had her first baby and she'd been through like a 48-hour labor and you know it was just she was in so much pain and she wasn't really prepared for it and then I saw her like a week after um, this had happened and you know, met my lovely new nephew and she was just exhausted. I think, I think I've think i never seen anyone that tired before. It was like she was on another planet and it was really, it was really an eye opener because she just seemed totally different to the woman I knew. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, in my, in my brain, I'm like, you, you have the baby, you carry the baby around and it's lovely and it's sweet and you're just like hanging out and it's like, no, there's a whole level of like physicality that I actually can't comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> and it's
0: also one that, mothers forget sort of right away and enables them to do it all over again (laughs) right it's like you forget the intensity of of all the bad stuff and you're just like look at my cute little thing you know
2: (laughs) let's do it again every time I asked my mom I was like "Is like is labor painful is having a baby painful my mom was always like oh I mean you hold your baby and you get it all instantly and it wasn't until recently she was like yeah it really really hurts (laughs) so funny.
0: I was actually wondering about your views on having kids and all the rest after reading your book. Cause I felt like throughout the book, you had all these different quotes about, well, you had all these different things that you wrote about childbirth and having kids. And I just wanted to read a few of them as quotes. You wrote, as I got older, and this is Kala speaking, as I got older, babies seemed to become malevolent with their power. You also said childbirth is a kind of death. And that your body is hijacked by the baby. <laughs> you said later you'll watch the baby every second of the day. You'll be convinced they're dying. You'll hold them to your body and weep. Sometimes you'll think of killing them yourself. So I just want to raise these as kind of a big question mark onto the mixed feelings that come with motherhood. What do you think about I, that?
2: I think it's just that kind of viciousness of the love of it. Like from what I've kind of, what I've learned from people, but also what I've imagined myself and like what friends have told me and my mom and stuff I think that kind of that sense of fear but also kind of you'll do anything if you're a baby that was something it kind of sounds so negative but at the same time yeah I guess the thing about having your body hijacked that was me grappling with the kind of physical realities and like, you know, reading science behind it and looking into watching labor videos on YouTube, which I don't recommend necessarily. (laughs) Yeah, I think I just, I was really interested in as someone who has not had a baby. So I'm always kind of aware that my perspective is obviously as an outsider, but I'm kind of looking at it in a different way, I guess, as someone who has had a baby. It's kind of this fascination and It's kind of like an almost like enviousness, I guess, because yeah, wanting to have a baby and looking at people having babies and wondering what it would be like and kind of grappling with those feelings.
0: Interesting. So what made you do this book after The Water Cure? Which was nominated for the Man Booker Prize and came to so much like literary acclaim and all the rest. And I've heard that your sort of sophomore novel can be a stress-inducing one because of all the pressure of the success of the first novel. Tell me about like starting this versus your last book. Did it feel different? Were you nervous about it? Did it just come naturally? Like, What was your process like both times?
2: I had the idea for a while, and I think I, w- I wasn't really... I think there was a part of me that was just a bit afraid that I wouldn't be able to do it again. Like I thought I'd written one book and I was just afraid that maybe I only had one big in me, even though I had these ideas, things that I definitely wanted to write about. I was kind of motivated a little bit by that kind of fear. And I wasn't at all under any pressure from my publishers and stuff. They've always been amazing. I'm, I'm like the person who puts the most pressure on myself all the time in kind of everything. And I gave myself a deadline basically to kind of try and spur myself on, which is I wanted to have a first draft of Blue Ticket ready. Uh, before the water cure was published because I thought it would kind of you know I had no idea what publication was going to be like I had no idea that things would kind of kick off as they did (laughs) and so having something in reserve that I could focus on and something I could work on I thought would be really helpful for me so I did I gave the first draft of blue ticket to my agent the week before the water cure came out and then even though it wasn't we didn't have a big deal for it I just kind of knowing that I had done it I've done something even if it was you know a terrible first draft it was something to kind of work towards
0: and how long did it take to write both of these books like did you write when where did you like to write them like to give me a little visual into your process of writing please
2: Ooh, yeah, So I think each of them took about two years. And when I wrote the the cure I was working full-time. I used to be a content manager for a big brand in the UK. So I used to work in the morning before I went to work, um, or I would work after work and, like, on the weekends. And I had little stations set up in my old in my old flat, a little desk <laughs> in my living room. It was a tiny flat, but, you know, it was cosy. And that's kind of where that happened. And I used to go to a lot of cafes. It seems funny thinking about cafes now because, you know... I've actually written my like third I'm writing my third book like Sands Cafe it's like no cafe at all <laughs> because of the lockdown but yeah for for Blue Ticket it was much the same except I was working freelance for that point so I just had more time and yeah I mean I feel like my process is quite boring it's literally kind of wake up and get some words done and just yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's okay
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: I read your Modern Love essay about your partner, Christopher, and going through bowel cancer and your obsession with watching Love Island, the reality show, as you grappled with your own emotions. Tell me a little more about that experience and sort of what has happened since. Like, is everything okay or what's the... I don't know. This is like such an insensitive question. What was the aftermath of the of that essay?
2: That was a that was a really strange year. I think probably that experience was something that also now looking back on it, because I was kind of that was just before I started writing. Well, it was it was while I was writing Blue Ticket. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think it was one of the things that kind of really influenced my feelings on children because you know suddenly we we're having to make or think about these things and having to think about the future and you know think about the the the, the the potential if he was going to get chemo and things. So since then, things have been really good. He's doing really well. He's currently in remission, which is amazing. It has been strange to think about because with the lockdown, obviously, it was a strange experience having the book out while also kind of grappling with the cancer. And now kind of having a book out and there's like a a massive, actually kind of global disaster happening. I've never really had like a normal book publication experience. But yeah, I think... In some ways, at least everyone's kind of involved this time because it was quite lonely to be having such an amazing thing happening at the same time as having such a, you know, a really heartbreaking, scary thing happening. But yeah, things are kind of weirdly, weirdly more stable now.
0: And how open were you at the time about what you were going through with Christopher? Like, as did everybody know when it came out that this was going on or is this something that happened after? Because I'm just like jumping into your life now. <laughs>
2: He was diagnosed a week before the water cure came out. Yeah, no, 10 days. (laughs) So I gave him him the drafted blue ticket and then he was diagnosed and then water cure came out. It was a really intense few days. (laughs) But I had to be really open with everyone because he started going through surgery and stuff kind of almost immediately. They needed to get the tumour out. And so I just, yeah, I was really open about it because everyone could see that I was kind of not in the state I would normally be in. And I had to sort of really really pull it together a bit I think in, in a way it's always like I kind of was on, a bit on autopilot and I remember doing things like you know I spend the day at hospital and then I'd go to do my dream event is the bookshop called the London Review Bookshop in London and like I love it I've loved it since I moved to London and I was so excited to do this, my first event and I just kind of went there straight from the hospital and I was almost in this like weird state of shock <laughs> and we have these little gin and tonics in a tin in the UK and I was like drinking one right before to try and get into kind of Event mode. <laughs> it was strange, but everyone was really amazing about it, and no one kind of everyone kind of really understood that it was a, the strangest time.
0: Wow, I'm so sorry you had to go through that, and that it all happened at once. But I'm so happy he's doing well and all the rest. But gosh, what a intense period of time for you! I, wow. <laughs> so this is your first book post all of that sort of trauma in your life, the one that you're writing currently, correct? Yeah. So do you feel like Everything that's happened to you has affected your writing in a, in a noticeable way for you as you're, as you're going through the draft?
2: One of the things I noticed that I was surprised by is that I assumed it would take me um, a shorter amount of time, I guess, to write this book because I was like, finally, I kind of have less going on. <laughs> Everything's kind of calm. I'm not working full time anymore, and I'm like writing is actually mainly what I'm doing now, so I have more time. We've moved into like a lovely house with more space. Everything's kind of just feels like optimum writing time. and then it's almost like that thing. I think when things are quieter and suddenly just you kind of breathe out and you, you know you kind of kind of you realize like how, what it will in the couple of past couple of years have been. So I haven't been like super productive in the standards I set to myself. Um, but then I, I'm just trying to trust in the process and know that even if it feels slow to me, it's still actually, you know, Blue Ticket has just come out. <laughs> the Water Queer already came out two years ago. I really, you know, it's not, I'm really not behind <laughs> by any metric. It's just, again, my kind of, the pressure I put on myself. But writing is like my favorite thing in the world. I, I love to do it so much. So it, it never kind of feels like something I'm making myself do. And to be writing these books, you know, it's it's, it's kind of, an it's, I, there's no, there's no other the way I'd rather spend my time, basically.
0: <laughs> so nice. How great to, like, be good at the thing that you like the most. It <laughs> <That> works <laughs> out very well, right? <laughs> wow. Well, I read another article where you were talking about the importance of, like, letting people know about rejected manuscripts not in a way to celebrate the one-off successes when people actually do become, like, overnight you know, sensations, but that there is so much work and so many required steps on the way to having a manuscript that's ready to be published, which I thought was such a great thing to hear from a writer because, you know, I talk to writers all the time and it seems to me that your third attempt at a novel is like the one that's going to sell. I feel like I should just write a book called like Only Try to Sell Your Third Novel or something like that because like everyone has stuff in a drawer that they feel badly about and yet... You actually have to do it to to learn how to do it right, I think. So I don't know. What are your views on this?
2: I call them pancake novels. It's like they kind of did the they you have to do them to get the good pancake. <laughs> and like they're still delicious, it's just not quite right, maybe. And then you can get your good pancake after. But yeah, it, it I went through the submission process twice. So I wrote a book that didn't get published. And I did like a major rewrite and revision. It took me like a year, maybe longer a year. And I still, I was w- working full time again. And yeah, so to be kind of, to go through like two rounds of, of rejection for a novel was really heartbreaking. And i kind of spent, it felt like i spent my whole, my whole twenties, like, you know, writing this one book, it was the book that I put everything into. I spent like, yeah, maybe six years on it. It was so hard to let, let it go, <laughs> but in the end, you know, I had this chat with my agent. She's like, you know, we love the book, but there's something about it that's not clicking with publishers. And, you know, do you have another idea? And I said, yes, I do. And that was the water cure. <laughs> so it, it was really hard at the beginning, but I think, you know, it kind of, it taught me so much about resilience and about rejection. And because I really didn't think I could write another book. It was like, you know, it was terrifying. If terrifying. I put, I really put all my hopes into it, but I could. And I think about that when I'm I'm like maybe I can't write a third book or a fourth book or maybe maybe I've only got two books it's like no it's fine I've got this
0: <laughs> it's not like there's like a spigot and it only came out with a little bit of water and the well dries up right it's like a I feel like the more you actually it's like the more you pump the well the more the water like rejuvenates or something that's the worst analogy ever particularly for someone who wrote a book with water in the title but anyway something more like that like the more you do it the 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 more it can come out or something I don't know.
2: I saw something on Twitter as well, I think, recently where someone was talking about taking a break from writing and coming back and not to feel afraid of kind of like fallow periods because your brain is still doing things, you're still taking things in. All things like that um, are things that I kind of went through with writing my first book that did not get published and you know I have very fond feelings for the book and sometimes I look back at it I go through the word document and I kind of allow myself to feel all those feelings but also remember like it wasn't that bad it wasn't bad at all it was good enough for my agent to take it in off and uh, take it take it on sorry and there were publishers like interested it just wasn't the one so yeah so it all it all kind of worked out <laughs> <laughs> what
0: types of books do you like to read like what's your what's your taste in books
2: I think largely, like, literary fiction. I know it's such a nebulous um, genre, but I kind of... I grew up like reading everything I would genuinely read everything I was thinking yesterday about how I would read there was a first aid book in my house and I think I think I must have like subconsciously tapped into that for a blue ticket because there's a part in it that was like how to give birth in your house <laughs> <laughs> and reading this and like seeing the little diagrams and just a lot about towels and hot water and stuff that's so why I would really read everything and I still kind of try and read everything but yeah at the moment I kind of have been going back to, like, comfort books, I guess, which for me is things like Jean Reese and, like, Ma- Maggie Nelson, things that are quite easy and short to get through and that give me a lot of kind of emotional clarity and beauty, I guess. But, yeah.
0: Do you have any advice to aspiring authors?
2: I would say, yes, <laughs> I have lots. I'm trying to think of, like, what is the most useful thing in this time of kind of unprecedented... Global change. I think, yeah, be, I always say be kind to yourself and to just like kind of do what you can because I think one of the mistakes I made that really stressed me out was I'm expecting so much of myself and, you know, getting really down on myself for every rejection and taking things really hard and forcing myself and forcing myself. You have to kind of, like you said, with filling the well earlier, you have to put things into yourself to get things out. I think like it's really important to take time to take things slowly and to, you know, give yourself things that you enjoy. Basically, yeah, just be be good to yourself and just trust that, like, the, the work will, you know, come from that. That works. That's good advice. <laughs> I like it. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on
0: Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Congratulations. Now I'm hoping that when your third book comes out, it's not paired with some sort of horrendous event. So maybe like give me a heads up of when your third book is being published <laughs> and I'm going to like gird myself and go buy some, you know, paper towels and get ready
2: for whatever disaster the earth might I get some like nuclear fallout suits or something. <laughs> exactly.
0: I'm getting my hazmat suits for your next book, but no, I'm kidding. Anyway, best of luck with the I know it just came out. So congratulations. And I, Look forward to just sort of watching your your success as it' unfolds. So it's really exciting.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's a the chat.
0: okay, you too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Once again, today's episode has been sponsored by Audible. I'm so excited that Audible has been working with Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to sponsor this episode, audible.com Zibby. Check it out if you think you don't have time to read listen. Just listen the way you're listening to me right now and try out a book that way. You'll, you might really love it. Audible.com slash Zibby. Thanks. You can follow me on Instagram at moms don't have time to read books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com.